Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we learn from those doing good in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world, why they care, what we can do, and most importantly, what you, the listeners, can do. Pod for Good is produced and edited by Rant9 Productions, which is me. So if you like how we sound or are thinking about starting a podcast, reach out to me. I am easy to find. Pod for Good can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. If you enjoy what we do here, please make sure to subscribe and share this episode on social media, which is something I'm also going to try to do as our numbers decrease because I keep forgetting to mention this show on the internet. So I am, as always, your chief philanthropod and class clown for justice number I need to remember to post about this show on social media, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod and class clown for parking, Chris Miller. In this episode, we're talking with Cayenne Camus, executive director of Partner Telsa. We talked to Cayenne about parking, how they are including the voice of the community in their new development process, and also parking. Now, listeners, I want you to know the interview is about 50% parking, but that's because we're giving you the content we know you want because, as we all know, everybody loves complaining about parking. So... Find out what you can blame her for and what you can't <laughs> right now. Man, welcome back to Pod for Good. Uh, our listeners will never hear your first your first <laughs> go on Pod for Good as it is now in the graveyard of recordings that can't be fixed. So, but we are very excited to be recording here in person in City Hall. Chris, they less in City Hall. It's we're, shocking. We're here. Shocking. I mean, no one else is here. But, I mean, it makes sense I would be in here, but I'm shocked they let you in I here. know. For, for it, mo- it's your for, building. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. The taxes I pay with all the money I make. Yes. That's podcasting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, before we get into Partner Tell Said, all the great work you do, you mentioned before we started recording that there are ghosts in this building. And I'd like to dig into that for a moment. <laughs> Who now are I there? have to make up a ghost yeah. story. I'm sure I could if. Given a few minutes, I could come up with. All right, well, ghost you, you think on that, and we will, will come back yeah. to you. I'm trying yeah. to think of like, like someone who like lost all their money on like a uh, an oil field in like 1930. Um, the problem is maybe it was from when the uh, the tornado that came and blew all the glass out of this building. Maybe something related to that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. There, I bet there was a long meeting about. Should we make the the whole building glass? Like, yeah, it's a great idea. I think someone's like, uh, yeah, but. You know, like, oh, tornadoes never hit Tulsa. So good thing they didn't build this in more. So sorry, more. Sorry, not sorry. Unnecessary dig at more. They, listen, yes, they, yeah. could, they could have moved that shopping center. They didn't. So anyway, so we are on the 15th floor of City Hall, which is where I guess partner Tulsa's office is. Yes. Yeah. Just down the hallway from the mayor and the finance department. Some of the most important people in City Hall. The most important yet usually frustrating to work with finance people <laughs> just from my time interacting with finance departments they're they're just they operate in a, on a different level than i operate which is like let's just get this done they're like no there are rules and procedures i'm like i'm done with my part of this that's exactly right but so for our listeners can you please uh, just briefly tell us what partner telsa is and who it who it combined to be so yeah. So uh, Partner Tulsa, really, the short answer is we lead community and economic development for the city of Tulsa. Um, we were formed just over a year ago out of the effective merger of five different public entities. So we took the mayor's office of economic development, which I used to lead, then the parking authority, the industrial authority, the development authority, 
in the Economic Development Commission, and we put them all into this one organization, really with a goal of uh, making sure that we're a little bit more efficient, a little bit more effective, hopefully a lot more effective, in fact, easier to deal with, uh, easier to access than what our predecessor entities were. Uh, what, what were some of the, I guess, what were some of the good things that were attempted where problems happened because there were multiple organizations trying to do one thing? Was there like, was there an inciting incident where finally people were like, okay, maybe we should merge all of these? Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I don't know if there was one single incident, but really just a recognition that when I served as chief of economic development, I spent a lot of my time, um, you know, when I first came into the role working with Kathy Taylor, who the mayor, uh, Mayor Bynum brought on as, as his chief of economic development. She, of course, knew she had worked with all of these entities when she was mayor herself um, and so knew the amount of work it took to just communicate across the different boards, help them understand what the vision of the city and the mayor was, uh, and then to coordinate the tools and resources across across those different entities. So, you know, a good example is, let's say you if you're a if you were doing a project in downtown Tulsa and you knew that it needed uh, structured parking. You could first start out with the parking authority and see if the parking authority was interested in doing a project with you. If not, then maybe you could go and talk to the development authority because the development authority was then managing uh, some of the city's tax increment finance districts. Then maybe if you struck out there, if you still wanted to try another form of assistance, you could go to the industrial authority and try to do some conduit bond financing with them. And that each of those different entities had different staff. They also had different boards. So you spent a tremendous amount of time and energy just trying to understand one, like what part of the process or a project could a different entity influence, and then convincing them of the value of your project. Um, so it was tough for customers, but as you know, for me as a staff member, that also required me to um, really spend a lot of uh, what I oftentimes refer to as soft power. You know, I didn't have direct control or authority over any of these groups, um, but they were all necessary to helping execute the city and the mayor's vision. So it just resulted in a lot of energy being spent to try to row the boat in the same direction. And we all kind of collectively thought to ourselves, you know, we can we can do this better. Um, and that was really when we started looking at, you know, we knew we knew that these entities were doing better at just kind of working together through those kind of soft power mechanisms. But thought, you know, if I leave or when the mayor is gone or when my staff turns over, it could all just go away. Or if we have changes in the board of trustees or commissioners, it could it could all go away. And we knew that we didn't want to have spent, you know, however many years finally getting stuff to a little bit better and then have it all fall apart, which is why we really went after this kind of more institutional change that could be uh, sustained long term. So which of these entities have been, I guess, the toughest, toughest for you to kind of learn and understand so you can integrate them together? Gosh, um, all of them, I don't, you know, it's interesting. They're all they're all you you know different and unique in their own ways. The development authority, um, which was the city's urban renewal authority, uh, you know, had and kind of an immense amount of legacy real estate assets that you know we've been trying to get our arms around, understand you know where they're at, you know what which which uh, pieces of real estate might have the greatest opportunity for redevelopment, and then actually you know raise awareness of of those opportunities with developers themselves. Um, you know, we also had TDA had some legacy uh, parcels on its book, like the historic Morton Hospital, the Laura Duster site. And just for us, they were, 
you know, they were a drain on the neighborhoods where they're located because they weren't being used. Um, in the case of both of those projects, they be, they oftentimes become a site for you know, vandals or people break in. And so they further kind of impact the neighborhood and the people who are living in the area. So trying to figure out, you know, how can we make sure that we can partner with developers to get these sites redeveloped? Um, that was a big task. Um, you know, the parking authority, luckily the previous board, they, they managed it quite well. So it was very well resourced, didn't have a ton of debt. Um, but, you know, we going into, we did the merger going into COVID, which meant that we had kind of pulled in um, on how we were spending the resources of the parking authority, because as you guys can imagine, when you don't have a lot of events downtown, when you have a lot of uh, businesses that pull people out of the office or start allowing them to work remote, they don't park as much downtown. So we're trying to be conservative in how we spent uh, money within the parking authority, um, but have a tremendous amount of investments that we need to make on a regular basis into the parking facilities. So understanding, you know, what are those major capital investments that you need to make to make sure that those facilities are safe and secure for people to park in them. Um, you know, we just at, at our meeting this next week, we will uh, authorize about $900,000 in investments in new revenue control systems. So like the things that let you into the garage and that make it easier for you to pay. We want to make it easier for you to pay. Um, so it's really, it's, I think the heart of, it's not that any one of them was more difficult to learn than the other. It's just that they all have different, you, uh, unique elements about what they can do or what they do do in the economic development process. So it's just, there's a wide swath of things to learn uh, as you merge them together. Maybe you can answer this question for me, which is, this is a parking question, Yes. which is, okay, so there are, there are privately owned parking lots in town. Yeah. Then there are, then there's the green app, whichever one that is, the Park Mobile. Park Mobile. That's yes, is that uh-huh. that's is that the city's like that the city's partner in tracking yes. and paying and ticketing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's city it's city employees giving tickets to people when they've gone over their time in the Park Mobile app. Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So the on street parking system downtown. So if you like roll up next to Dilly Diner and you want to park on the street in downtown Tulsa. Um, you pay through Park Mobile or at the little kiosk on the street, and the city manages uh, those facilities. Um, when I first started at the city, I actually helped make sure that we could finally get new parking meters downtown. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys remember the like old ones were covered in like chewing gum and mm-hmm. duct tape, and none of them ever worked, and it like created immense frustration for yeah. anyone coming downtown, and also businesses because people could just like park uh, on an on street parking space for hours, and because the meter never worked, uh, just was not a functioning system. So that's on street is the city. And then we own a number of parking garages uh, that are publicly owned. Um, and those are our operator is American Parking. And American Parking also operates a number of other privately owned garages. Yeah, is that helpful? Yes. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> you, you see like sometimes you park in a lot and you're like, well, now I have to download another app. Yes. And, yeah. And like sometimes you're like, is this a park? Sometimes because sometimes it's like a gravel. It's a gravel lodger. Like, I don't know who who I'm supposed to pay for this one because it's <laughs> yeah. in between two. And so I'm always just like, okay, who's controlling this? And like, who, like where, where are the partnerships involved yeah. there? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of brings up an interesting point about parking in general downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a perception that for a lot of people, oh, there's nowhere to park in downtown. So I, 
I don't know if in their head that means if I have to pay, then I can't park there or what. But how do you how do you deal with that sort of what seems to me as someone who's lived and worked in and around downtown for a long time, a, a strange perception? Yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe it's like Oklahomans, you know, you're used to just being able to park right in front of something. And so any type of a walk um, you're going to complain about. And parking is always super easy to complain. Um, I also think from like a, you know, a, a planning perspective, you'll always hear planners talk about or urban designers talk about, you know, missing teeth in kind of a, a streetscape or in the urban landscape. And when you have um, a great example for me, I remember when the view uh, just across from the ballpark uh, started going uh, under construction and when they really first went vertical and I was walking across the Detroit bridge and I, once it was vertical, I saw how close that lot was to to the Detroit bridge, but absent a building in that place, it felt so much further. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, this perception about like, oh, I have to walk so far is a function of still having so many open lots in downtown. And when you fill the space, those vacant spaces with buildings, it creates, like it changes your perception of how you interact with um, the space. So if you think about like, if you were going to park at ninth and Cincinnati and walk up to fifth and Cincinnati versus parking at the ballpark. So Archer and uh, let's say Archer and Elgin and walking over to the tavern, your perception of those two walks are probably dramatically different just because of you have much more to interact with on the the second walk as compared to the first walk. Yeah, I was doing the math in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, those are the same distances. Like, <laughs> but yeah, there's so many things to look at. And yeah. I mean, it's, you know, cities that have more active downtowns, yeah. they they start thinking that way where they're like, right. we need to put things here so that people won't be bored when they're walking in between yeah. thing and thing. Telsons and Broken Arrows and all the other suburbs, they are spoiled in outside of downtown yeah. with parking. As someone who's lived outside of this yeah. state, they are spoiled by parking. Yeah. Well, yeah. and our role, I think, as a development organization is really to, as we're supporting uh, projects downtown or elsewhere in the city, is to think about like those good urban design principles. So you know, we think about the, the WPX Devon headquarters project. Um, we worked a lot with that team. You know, they were developing on on a super block or on a full block and really talked and thought a lot about. And luckily, they had a, an amazing architect team who was working alongside them. But they deliberately um, structured the uh, the pathway from John Hope Franklin Reconciliation Park to Guthrie Green so that you had this easy human based pedestrian route to get through mm-hmm. that block. And they also thought a lot about having the ground floor retail with transparency so that you could put a restaurant on that space so that if you're walking from the ballpark to uh, the tavern, you have some activity and not just a giant wall of brick. So our our role as we think about, you know, what's the type of development that we're trying to incent in Tulsa is to make sure that we work with developers and say, okay, you need support and assistance, but here are the expectations um, that we have for how uh, the built environment should look in Tulsa. I, I, I'd like to say like 
while Pot for Good is not sponsored by the tavern, we are not against it. So the tavern, <laughs> no, if you're I listening. I now use a different restaurant. No, no, no. Uh, the tavern's yeah. delicious. My, my uh, <laughs> first uh, real date with my wife was at the tavern. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's similar to um, the two parking garage on, on either side of Main Street between the fourth and fifth, right? You've got, yeah. you've got some retail on the ground floor of one and you've got um, interesting decorative stuff on yeah. both, you know, the the giant interactive mural on one side and yeah. then on uh, on the, I guess it would be the east side. On the east side of Maine. You know, it's it's just, it doesn't look like just your standard parking garage. So, yeah. I, you know, it, it does, it makes it feel a little bit different. It does, yeah. And there was a, you know, the city provided, we so we own the parking garage that you're talking about that has the big mural on the front. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, that was really the parking authority's first like opportunity to really see like, oh, hey, like these uh, giant buildings that we own that house cars are actually a key part of how people experience the city and they spur economic development. You're really thinking about it from a much broader perspective than I think the parking authority had historically. Um, and if you ask any of the trustees, like they are just like, they love that project mm-hmm. and it's obviously beautiful. But when the city was uh, negotiating with the developer on the parking garage across the street, you know, ensuring that it was more than just your basic tilt up concrete wall, um, that there is, you know, the space still has not been filled there on the corner, but mm-hmm. that there was space for retail um, to go long-term was a really big part of that project. We we wanted to make sure that you have this key crossroad in, in the central business district, the core of downtown, making sure that that didn't kind of stymie or, or, or neuter the feeling of, of that, uh, what is now, a, I think, a key urban neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd love for something similar to happen to the parking garage near the center of the universe because I walk past that every day. We also own that one. Yeah, (laughs) yes. And, and, you know, we actually have talked with uh, the Downtown Tulsa Partnership and as they're going through their master planning process for Center of the Universe, we would love to pursue a mural on that parking garage because we think like how many people... Uh, you know, come and take a picture at mm-hmm. the center of the universe. And Absolutely. then you have this uh, not great looking parking garage in the <laughs> background. Um, it would just be phenomenal for us to really like, you know, can we make it like an Instagram worthy space um, so that it it contributes to the built environment? And then ultimately, like if I'm just a pure capitalist, which we've talked about this with our team, like if people know that there's a super awesome mural that's very Instagram worthy, mm-hmm. we'll get them lots of likes. Uh, they're more likely to come and park in our parking garage, which mm-hmm. drives and generates revenue for us. So it's like you can you think about it across a variety of fronts. But mm-hmm. I it's on our <laughs> okay, good, it's, good. it's on the list of things we want to do. Yeah, I I didn't think about it until you said it. But I'm like, yeah, I've walked by that parking garage many times, and it's just it's super I mean, it's boring. a parking yeah. garage. It's, yeah, it's, it's what parking everyone garage. thinks a parking garage mm-hmm. would yeah. sound would, yeah. would sound like would look like. Look like yeah. yeah, it also sounds like the, a it, yeah. it does. Yeah. yeah, if you make a turn too quickly, your tires do the squeal. <laughs> Um, yeah, which I'm like the that, sky bridge though is lovely. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's. Uh, we should stop talking about parking because I mean, like, <laughs> I know. we spent too much time last time we spoke to you. But like, it's, yeah. it's something that everybody interacts with, and we all have our own parking issues. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, one thing that, not to rehash everything we talked about last time, that I did think was interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, like me, look at downtown and it's like, well, why can't we just get rid of the sea of lots and replace them with you know, one, one parking garage and develop everything else. Yeah. And, and I know it's not as easy as that. So I think, I think, so why is it that we can't just do that? 
Yeah. You know, I think uh, up until the past few years, you know, market dynamics play, I think, a big role in, in what is actually viable to develop. And, you know, up for the past 20 years, the city has spent a whole lot of time developing tools to help close the gap uh, between, you know, what what a bank is willing to finance in downtown because they're not quite certain that it will actually pencil out at the beginning. Um, and we, our, our team manages, you know, some downtown housing revolving loan funds. We manage TIF districts and they're meant to help make projects downtown more feasible. And that's driven by, you know, it's, it's more expensive to build up. Um, it's also more expensive to acquire land downtown. So that drives costs up even further. You do have more flexible zoning. So that makes it easier to, to do creative things in downtown, um, so I would say like kind of first part has been just kind of basic market realities. We do our team as a whole, I think, really feels like um, the days where we really have to provide zero interest loans to close the gap for projects are pretty much over. We think there's an opportunity for us to be a little bit more market minded and we may not charge, um, you know, the same as what a, a bank would charge for a loan, but we do think there's an opportunity for us to start charging some interest on, on our loans, still support projects and, and make things move forward that we think are ultimately beneficial to, to what residents want to see, what Tolson's want to see. The other thing I think is you have you have some really large landholders in downtown. You have a lot of churches, you have a lot of higher education institutions. And I think there's an opportunity for us to work with them more proactively as we see this kind of shift in market potential and say, hey, let's, um, you know, most of those institutions to go back to parking. I know you're trying to get away from parking. <laughs> most of those institutions, they, they bought, um, what were, were once historic buildings and tore them down so that their, um, you know, their customers or, or congregations could park, uh, and, and use their facilities. And a lot of them don't need that much parking anymore. So I think, engaging them as in discussions around being a part of the solution to spur further development, which could potentially, if we get creative and think about, you know, what are ground lease opportunities or, you know, is there a willingness to consider reduced purchase prices? Um, you know, that could help us think about uh, minimizing the impact of just some of those natural, and it's always more expensive to develop in downtowns. So that's just a basic fact. That's not a Tulsa thing. Um, yeah, is uh, that? Yeah, I think that answers the question. And I one more one more parking related <laughs> thing, then we move on. And that's if if we can't build up, like the idea I had is like one of the the problems with those lots is like in the summertime with no protection, those just those rate like those they absorb yeah, heat and then yeah. and shoot out. So yeah, there's would, the heat yeah, island effect. So and... would it be useful to the city to just cover them? with solar panels like so like the, the cars themselves panels. yeah just like um a one you know a layered oh, covering you mean like a yeah. single cover yeah one. a single okay. covering yeah yeah and that way you don't have to build up that much but then you could also feed in some energy into town so yeah. that's my suggestion because so. yeah like you walk like it's already hot here in the summertime and then you go downtown yeah. you're like why like uh what's a good example like somewhere like fifth and uh fifth and cincinnati somewhere you're just walking by like three Yes. Just concrete lots. And you're like, why is it so hot right here? Yeah. 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 Like the, the tires on my scooter have burnt. <laughs> you know, so. If you're like me, you might hear estate planning and go, gross. 
You might think to yourself, I'm not sure why I'd bother with that. Estate planning is only for the uber-rich. Tallgrass begs to differ! Tallgrass founding attorneys Laurel and Riley think everyone should have an estate plan. They know estate planning seems untouchable to a lot of folks, like something you have to do inside a stuffy law firm of Stuffy McLawyer Pants Esquire. But I promise you, Tallgrass is nothing like that. For one, they work out of their home so their clients can feel at home. They obsess, because they're nerds, over making clients feel like they belong and are supposed to be there. Also, their kids might make an appearance. They will take time to answer all of your questions, even the uncomfortable ones. They will work relentlessly to make sure your plan is exactly what you need to feel secure and at peace. So if you've been putting off planning for what's going to happen after you've gone, it's time for you to give Tallgrass a call at 918-770-8940 and start your plan today. Or visit their website at tallgrassestateplanning.com and schedule a free initial consultation. For free! It's right there on the website. And of course, there's more, because this is a podcast ad. If you tell them you're a Pod for Good listener, they're going to take 25% off their service fees. Just tell them Pod for Good sent you. Stop thinking estate planning isn't for you and give Tallgrass a call today at 918-770-8940 or on their website, which I'm not going to read out to you again. It's in our show notes. Thank you, Tallgrass. Well, let's, let's jump into some non-parking yes. development-related yeah. okay, ones. So what what are some uh, upcoming developments that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, and what are the parking situations? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, will only, we will manage to integrate parking into every discussion we have tonight. Um, I can't remember if we talked about this last time, but I I know I, I say it regularly, regularly to others. The Laura Duster site in the Pearl District, um, which is around like, it's in between 7th and 8th Street mm-hmm. and around Quincy, I think. Um, the city it's, acquired... It's just sort of back a little ways from Nothing's Left Brewery, if anybody knows is, where that is. Yeah. Okay. Um, that helped me. So uh, the city acquired that, you know, a decade ago as a part of uh, plans for stormwater mitigation in the area. And they had gone through several rounds of requests for proposals, trying to find a developer to redevelop that site. And I think some of the initial proposals really fell through because the um, it's it's a tough site and project because the city has this future plan for storing stormwater underground on the site, but we couldn't ever actually figure out the legal framework for how to allow a developer to develop on a portion of the site and have confidence that the city wasn't going to come in and like tear it up because mm-hmm. they were going to put in this stormwater facility. Um, we, we have finally figured that out. Um, but we went through several rounds of uh, proposals. I think the initial one was uh, they planned to tear most of the buildings down and build from scratch. Then I think we had two developers who were going to do historic rehabs. And um, we, I had just started and I remembered uh, we, the, the development had fallen through with a set of local developers who were well-intentioned, but just ultimately couldn't make the project pencil. And we were asking the TDA Board of Commissioners to authorize us to get quotes for demolition um, because this the site as it stood was just a regular source of uh, people breaking into the buildings and starting fires and really a drag on the surrounding neighborhood. It was mm-hmm. really a safety and security concern for the for the residents in the area. And they were, who were always regularly frustrated and concerned because it's quite a large site in the middle of the neighborhood. Um, you can get up to a whole lot of not good uh, on that site. So um, we were authorizing demolition and the 
developers who are now redeveloping showed up and they were like, let us have a shot, <laughs> please. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> like, can we just, <laughs> I'm just ready to finally make a decision on this site. And um, I think that what happened was the commissioner said, okay, you guys can, staff can go ahead and get some quotes for demolition, but the developers can also use that gap time to put together a proposal. So they put together a proposal to keep the buildings um, and then, and we worked out largely the, the sales structure and then, um, the city retains the portion that they'll use for stormwater facilities later. And then the developer had a lease back. So we get all of that framework worked out and then COVID hits and we kind of were on ice. And, um, then finally, uh, earlier this year, we ended up closing on the property. The properties are under construction right now. And you know, that one, I think is just a, a testament to, one persistence, but two, like really thinking creatively about how we work with the developer. Um, you know, we ultimately we were selling the parcel for five hundred thousand dollars, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of things. It's an entire block, um, but we are we're essentially allowing the developer to defer paying mm-hmm. us for the parcel for five years. It's a way for them to essentially get the project built stabilize it. And then once it's stabilized, they'll refinance the project and pay us out. Um, and because we knew it was such a complex site, um, the buildings, they're using historic tax credits. So that really limits like the layout within the mm-hmm. buildings. That's a, it's a good thing from a preservation standpoint, but it just means it's difficult for the project to actually make money. Um, they also use what's called uh, PACE financing, uh, property assessed clean energy, I think is what PACE stands for, if I'm something close to that, um, which allows them to, uh, to add an additional assessment onto the property that helps them finance some of the uh, green and kind of clean energy investments that they'll make in the property. So lots of layers to the project. Um, but I I love the developer. Kevin Rice is a super great guy. Josh Kunkel with Method is, is on that project. And um, I would say another one that I'm really excited about is Black Wall Street Square, uh, which is uh, a grouping of TDA parcels that we had owned forever. Um, And that is a project being led by uh, Boomtown, which is the development arm of Habitat for Humanity. Um, They've been doing it in partnership with Terry McGee. Um, Terry, of course, passed away a few weeks ago, so I know they're working with his family now. Um, But that project, I think, has... Um, it's such a great opportunity to bring a new type of product and a new quality of housing product to the North Tulsa community um, that I'm hopeful will show the viability of other projects like it for, for the area. So, and and what's funny, like this, this is not parking related, but sort of is, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know like who's in charge and who, who gets to decide when things start and when things don't like, for example, Tilsons love to complain about street construction mm-hmm. right now we're right now we've been going through, I feel like a multi-year like highway, you know, project phase, especially as far as I-44 is related. And so I just want to make it, I, I want our audience to know, like if they're going to complain to somebody, it's not you, right? Like you, you don't handle that. That's not, I that's mean, not. In- people complain to me anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we try to, uh, we try to, if we know there's a development project coming and we can, 
we can better time and coordinate street projects. We try to do that. So two examples, 11th and Lewis, mm. uh, we, <laughs> my, my aunt and uncle live at 7th and Lewis and their favorite thing to do is to complain to me about how much they <laughs> hate the, uh, projects at 11th and Lewis. But because we knew, um, the, uh, we have a TIF that TIF helps support some major public, uh, streetscaping and infrastructure investments. And we knew the city had this funding for 11th street enhancements. Um, we, uh, coordinated with the city and the developer to make sure that those projects weren't aligned, are aligned so that rather than the, you know, the developer goes in and puts in all of this beautiful streetscaping. And then, you know, three months later, uh, one gas comes and rips it up because mm -hmm. they're doing some, uh, work, uh, in the right of way. So trying to do that. Um, the other one that we, that I can think of that comes to mind is the WPX, uh, Devon headquarters building, um, really working with them on, uh, plans for the two weighing of, uh, Detroit and Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Um, I was still a little bit of weirdness since they've got the two way for like two at uh, two block stretch <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. long term. Yeah. So that's what, know, that's what I, going on. Cause like, I, I, I know it's so like something's different here, but, I, yeah, it's, yeah. but it disappeared before I could figure out what it was. Yeah. Time. No, it's still, a, it's still two weighed. I yeah. think on that two, on that stretch. Yeah. But just, yeah, you're right. Just it for just like stops. a very short it is, period. Yeah. It's a little odd long term, uh, you know, the old two way Cincinnati and Detroit all the way. Uh, north and south. Um, so then people won't be able to complain about that. Yeah. I, know, I know people who are not used to downtown got very confused by the yes. one way streets. I actually liked it. It made it more, yeah. it made like, you just have to, you have to think about your route for five more seconds. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, but like, I will say there was a time earlier this year when both like, uh, between like 21st and 41st on Lewis and Harvard and Yale were all under construction. And so there was no way to escape it. I think whenever you're a public servant, you just kind of get used to yeah. it. I, my neighbors uh, who are retired, they I remember they, they were texting and calling me one day and they finally showed up at the door and we have a, I think they were having like a, their sewer bill was too high or something like, and we're like, please help us. And I remember I had like reached out to city staff and helped get it take, taken care of that day. And once people know that you work for the city or like some version <laughs> of the city, it's like, you can't, you, but that's you, I, I don't know. It's part of the role. You, yeah. you ultimately, you kind of enjoy it because you know, mm. you can be of help to people. Well, and um, so Jesse brings up decision-making. And so from a development perspective, right, you're going you know, often into sites in neighborhoods, areas. Yeah. So how do you um, include the voices of those residents, the people who will be directly impacted yeah. in those decisions? So I will tell you, historically, our like legacy organizations, not great at that. <laughs> uh, in fact, like, yeah, they found themselves in, you know, a lot of uh, you know, hot water, found themselves at odds with the residents of the neighborhoods that they were trying to serve because they just hadn't, they hadn't talked with people. And, and while they may have, in some cases, may have had a good idea, um, you know, working on a project that had merit, um, you know, oftentimes a lack of information breeds fear. Um, you know, it, it breeds more misinformation. Um, so I would say, you know, if we're specific project examples would be Evans Fintube. You know, we really tried to set aside all of our <laughs> historical uh, track record of how we run and manage projects and really execute what was a very intensive community engagement process. You know, we we took that, we went through a request for qualifications uh, phase where we um, had developers submit 
essentially their qualifications to determine if they could actually do a large project. And then once we identified a set of, of developers, went through a multi-phase process where they were forced to meet with community in these large uh, settings, get an initial idea of what the community is wanting to see in the redevelopment mm. of the Evans Fin Tube site. Um, they then presented some initial really high-level concepts and got feedback from the community on what they were proposing. And then they used that feedback to refine and develop a final proposal. And that really was, I we've never gone through a process like that before. Um, obviously, that's a really large site. And within the context of Greenwood, we really wanted to make sure that we were prioritizing community engagement on the front end. But I think in a lot of ways where we are is trying to just figure out there's there's that I think there's engagement as you're developing projects and trying to figure out what is it that people want to see in their neighborhoods. You know, do they really want to see a dry cleaner or a dentist or is there a specific type of retail that they're missing and doing that on the front end? But then it's also just keeping mm -hmm. continuing to talk with people, like letting them know where you're at. Um, the hard part about this work that it can take so incredibly long. Yeah. Uh, most of the projects that we work on, you know, we spend, Laura Dester, I, you know, I've been here for five years now. Um, Laura Dester had been in the works for several years before I came, and it just now started construction earlier this year. Um, the Peoria Mohawk Business Park project at 36th Street North in Peoria the foundation started acquiring property to assemble the business park, I think for 10 years before they actually got everything assembled. Um, and now I think we're on like year seven or so of working to recruit businesses into that business park and Muncie Power Products just opened earlier this spring. So, so much of, I think what we've, what we have to realize is that it can't just be one time, like can't just be one and done. Like, oh gosh, we asked you what your opinion <clears throat> was on Evans Fintube and you told us and now like we're good to go or, you know, we'll invite you to the ribbon cutting. That's not what people want or expect. I think they really want to understand how things are going. Um, I think it puts it puts a, a, a bigger onus on us to help people understand the complexities of the development process, which is hard. You know, it's uh, sometimes I think we make an assumption that like, oh, well, people like they either don't want to know or they're not smart enough to know rather than just trying to figure out like the most basic way to communicate facts. Um, it's but it's tough. It's definitely mm -hmm. difficult. So let me ask you this. Do the big scissors that you use for ribbon cuttings, do they live? <laughs> does it live on this floor? We, Are they here? You know, I think the mayor has some big scissors, <laughs> but we really, and the chamber is really no, bet, like yeah. the yeah. keeper of, and I think they have several. They have a closet full of them. Of yeah. Big scissors, but we should really get our, you should get your own. our own big scissors. Yeah. Partner Telsa branded yeah. large scissors. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about downtown and close to downtown. Yeah. Uh, but like what, again, this is somewhere where parking will not come up in the conversation, which is. <laughs> In other parts of town, like what, yeah. what is partner, what is the relationship with partner Tulsa look like in, in East Tulsa, in West Tulsa? We don't South need to talk, Tulsa. We don't yeah. talk about no, South we Tulsa. Don't care about yeah. South Tulsa. Yeah. No, we can talk about that. Um, you know, it, I would say it varies from, from place to place. Um, you know, in East Tulsa, we're doing a lot of work around, uh, identifying and planning for, uh, development of a major new employment center to, uh, support manufacturing and industrial growth. So we did a ton of work with the city's uh, engineering teams, 
around seeking a, a major uh, grant for wastewater infrastructure. Um, we are also doing a lot of work with the uh, Global District um, and other partners kind of working around the 21st and Garnet area. So it, 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 it varies. I think you could see us um, hopefully be more proactive about how do we take some of our commercial revitalization tools and support businesses in that corridor. You know, in South Tulsa, we just last week or the week before um, approved the TIF to support the new Shields project, um, which I, I never thought I'd get so excited about a retail project. You know, <laughs> I started my economic development career in, in primary job creation. And if you talk to most economic developers, they're super snobs about uh, primary job creation versus retail development. But that project is just so huge for the 71st Street Corridor. At first, the Sears building has been vacant for ages. Um, and it really, it's a drain on the mall. It just, it doesn't contribute anything to the city's sales tax base or its ad valorem base. Um, so to have Shields come in and they're in total, they will invest $132 million into that site. And if I think I'll get this stat right, uh, 25% of their customers come from over 50 miles away, which is wow. just like a massive regional draw. So that's net new people coming into Tulsa and spending money. And then we'll turn around and the TIF will, of course, support Shields and helping bring them here. But the, the bulk of the TIF will actually help us make broader improvements in the 71st Street corridor. That's one of the city's densest areas of commercial and retail development. Um, it's faced a lot of, I think, shifts in just the global retail landscape, particularly post-COVID, as you've seen a lot of retailers tighten up their footprints. So through that TIF, we'll be able to uh, envision and implement strategies to position that corridor for you know the next kind of generation of commercial and retail development, which is super exciting for us. So it's not just about the Shields TIF. It's really about that broader 71st Street corridor and how do we make sure that, you know, Tulsa's and the broader region, since it is such a, a destination for, for Northeast Oklahoma, you know, have the types of retail opportunities they're looking for. So uh, back to areas of town that I care more about. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, um, so I love that we do have different sections in town, largely yeah. in the area around downtown that are nice and walkable or bikeable, have nice retail and stuff like that. But there's no bridge between them, right? So getting if you want to get from Cherry Street to uh, Route 66 or the mm -hmm. Meadow Gold District, right? Yeah. It is not only not a pleasant walk, it's not safe to walk along Peoria. The people drive insane around, yeah. around that area. Um, similar, I mean, getting from 11th Street to Pearl District, Pearl District to, uh, let's see, what's Third Street called now? Um, Studio Row. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, on to, to Kendall Whittier, yeah. right? You've got these nice, and or even going the other direction, you know, Cherry Street to uh, Brookside, right? You've got these nice areas, yeah. but it feels like there's no bridge to be able to easily get from one to another if somebody wants to continue yeah. a pedestrian journey around those. Yeah, yeah. So how do how do you try to link these different districts so they feel a little bit more cohesive. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it is difficult just because of the like sheer landmass of Tulsa and the distance between some of the districts. I do think, 
the city has made investments in the bus rapid transit system over mm-hmm. the past several years. So that really, you know, it links Cherry Street and Brookside with, you know, Route 66 and downtown. And, um, but you can't, it's, it's tough to on one line like that to connect all the districts. There is a plan to do the east west route, um, which would go around along 11th Street and down to, I think it'll take a jog down to 21st Street as well. And then you could have, you know, that, that high frequency kind of quality bus service that would connect to primary north, south and east, west routes. Um, you know, I think also to the Tulsa was good about adopting ordinances and policy around scooters and and kind of mobility solutions like that. However, I think it's cities continue to struggle with, you know, how do you make sure that you can provide scooters, but they're not impeding the right of way and that you're working with companies that are actually taking care of their product. And, but those do, those solutions do provide um, what some people call kind of micro mobility opportunities. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer other yeah. than to acknowledge that it is, it's definitely um you know, it isn't a problem. I think one of the things that our team is trying to think more about is, you know, if we're if we're going to do projects in an area, really trying to think about a holistic approach to really tackling a place. So, you know, we think about the Evans Fin 2 project and the work we're doing at Kirkpatrick Heights Greenwood to the west of, of Evans Fin Tube the work that we'll do um, at the historic Morton hospital and thinking about how that those, that three series of projects really has the opportunity Mm -hmm. to create better connections. Um, But as we're executing them, I think we need to be thinking about, okay, you know, are we, are we fully leveraging TIF to make investments in um, transportation infrastructure or walkability infrastructure Mm -hmm part of why we did the, or a good part of why we did, uh, partnered with the Lubbock Taylor Family Foundation at, on their 11th and Lewis efforts. I think they recognized the power of investments in public space to create a better and safer environment mm-hmm. for people to walk. Yeah. Um, but when you have such a dearth of infrastructure and opportunities like that, you have a lot to overcome. So it sure. just takes some time. Is the is the BART train thing still free for Tilson to use? You yeah. know, I know they've had periods of it yeah. being free, but I'm not sure if it's free right now. I'm realizing now I should actually give that a shot since my my yep. car my car seems to be deciding whether it wants to start every day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now that I live closer to Peoria, yeah, I could, yeah, I could the catch BRT that. Is, nice. is great yeah. and quick. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But I mean, cause like I, when you were talking about like the, the distances issue, I remember like, and I, I drive down a lot now because of w- where I live and where I'm going and our gym, for example, like that 13th street corridor where they've been doing that highway construction. Like it's a lot prettier looking now, but mm-hmm. there's a large, large sidewalk walk between, um, um, Cincinnati and then Peoria where there could be things to do or even like mm-hmm. like public art exhibits or something that could fill that space so people right. would want to yeah. walk there but no one no one currently right. now wants to walk under a highway but those are so high now you could fill that space with something yeah 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 I mean because that's I, I know that for a lot of people maybe that is a little bit of a, a of a walk but you know for me I'd like to be able to go because I live near Cherry Street so I'd mm-hmm. like to be able to walk from there to 11th Street to you know go to the the little diner over there and feel safe. But I mean, the way, like, like I said, you know, with yeah. going over the highway, there's physical barriers, yeah. there's um, barriers on how the traffic flow works, mm-hmm. you know? So a lot of times 
which isn't, it's not a great walk, but I'll go through St. Louis, right? Because that cuts under the mm-hmm. highway. And yeah. That's yeah. through and you're walking past a lot of, of houses and apartments. So it's, it's not, it's not bad. It's a little more pedestrian friendly, yeah. but even then it's not great. So that's why I'm thinking, you know, it would be, it would probably would take a lot of development, but is there a way to make sort of like a, a, almost like a pathway yeah. where you connect things. And I do think the city has a policy around, you know, as we're doing projects, putting in sidewalks where there are not mm-hmm. currently sidewalks, thinking about, is this sidewalk actually like appropriately designed to mm-hmm. be safe for people? Right. It doesn't need scooted in a little bit so that it's not right up against the roadway. Right. And it doesn't need a random ramp up and down towards its end, <laughs> which is always fun on the scooters. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. So we focus a lot on parking and uh, development. So yeah. what about some of the job creation side of it? Yeah. So, so how does that factor into what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, ultimately our kind of w- the foundation of any kind of strong economy is people having access to quality jobs. Um, and for us, you know, we do, we, we partner a lot with the chamber, the Oklahoma department of commerce, um, trying to, uh, bring in and recruit major new employers to Tulsa, we also do a lot of work with existing employers, helping them grow. Um, and we're trying to, because we manage all of the city's public incentive programs, thinking about, you know, how do we make sure that as we're providing uh, these tools and programs to help companies grow, that they're companies who are providing good jobs. Um, you know, we we don't want to incentivize an employer who is going to ultimately lower the average county wage. We want to incentivize those employers who are who are helping raise up that average wage. During COVID, our team also worked with uh, the city and the city council to advocate uh, for funding for uh, Retrain Tulsa, which is a program with Tulsa Community Work Advance uh, that provides access to tree, to free training um, and kind of career counseling with this thought that you know, lots of people displaced as a result of COVID. And it provided this natural opportunity to help them train for and access a career that might provide them, not might, that that will provide them with a more stable kind of economic foundation. Um, that's we. That's not something that we oftentimes have the chance to, to do. And it was really the first major investment that you saw the city make in a workforce development program. Um, the city also came in afterwards with some CDBG funds and, and funded uh, some uh, daycare solution or a childcare solution for individuals who were participating in that program. Again, recognizing that you know, somebody may want to access training, but maybe they have a kid and they, and they don't mm. have childcare for that, uh, for that child while, while they're trying to take advantage of this training. Um, you know, we try to think a lot about what are the, don't make an assumption that just because somebody's not in the workforce or maybe they're underemployed or unemployed, that it's because they don't want to work. Most people want to work. They want access to a quality job. Mm-hmm. They just experience a lot of barriers to that. Um, so we are, most of our work, I think, spans around, you know, how do we work with employers to help them grow? But we are also trying to think about what prevents Tolsons from accessing those career opportunities. Um, we also do a lot of work, and this is a big focus. I mentioned our work in East Tulsa around how do we make sure that we have the sites for major employers to grow? Um, particularly right now, we're at this like unique point in American industrial policy where you're really seeing the Biden administration provide some incentives to major um, 
industries to try to get them to reshore operations back into the U.S. So you see that with ship manufacturers. You see that with their um, investments and incentives in electric vehicles and the electric vehicle supply chain. And because of that kind of federal policy um, and federal policy interventions, you're seeing a lot of really massive projects out there looking for uh, sites across the U.S. So part of our job is to help identify, okay, do we have do we have proper sites in the Tulsa city limits that have the water and the sewer and the road infrastructure in place so that when that company comes mm-hmm. knocking, we can say, hey, here's this site for you to, to locate. So speaking of that, I can imagine that requires interaction between federal, state, local, and not just government, but yeah. Groups like the chamber, potentially other um, invested uh, locals within within the city, other yeah. companies that may interact with them. How do you na- navigate all those different voices that may have competing interests in what they want for an employer, where they want the employer to be located? And yeah. What incentives to offer? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can sometimes, for the most part, I would say, you know, when we're working with the chamber, when we're working with the state, you know, Tulsa um, has a couple of our, uh, the George Kaiser Family Foundation has, has become more and more active in economic development strategy. I think we all generally have a collective vision um, and our, and under, know and understand kind of our core competencies and the role that we play in this uh, process. And we luckily too, I think when we're talking about Um, we had a company in town, uh, who's looking at Tulsa just two weeks ago and, um, they met with a couple of existing employers in Tulsa and, and generally existing employers are very willing to, to talk with prospective employers and saying like, here's my experience with attracting talent. Here's my experience with, uh, you know, getting the quality of senior executives that I need. Here's my experience with the training institutions who are helping us build a pipeline of workers. Um, and you don't see a lot of at least overt like posturing or competition between employers. Um, I, it may happen behind the scenes, but. Well, I mean, I think we'll, we'll, we'll probably have to have you on for a third time because there's a lot of things we didn't get to talk about <laughs> that we want to talk about. I don't think we talked about parking enough. Uh, yeah, no. probably should have talked could, more about Listen, yeah, listen, maybe you didn't parking. bring up uh you didn't bring up uh 244. I was about, I was about to, oh, but yeah. we're already at 50, 55 minutes. I know I know there's nothing she alone can do. <laughs> no, I am solving it yeah, all. Yeah. Tear it and down. Next time. We'll, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. We, next time it'll already 244 will be taken down. You will have yeah, already put new uh, developments in, in place. That's right. And, we, and all the parking lots will have solar panels on top of them. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kayanne, thank you so much for allowing us to interview you twice. Yes. And, um, and if anybody thinks what I said was nonsense, just know that on the first interview, everything I said was much better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you think this sounds great, the last one was even better. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll never get to hear it unless unless you pay for our Patreon and then I'll, then I'll let you hear it. So, so right now, only Joya Cleveland gets to hear the original episode. But thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening to our episode with Cayenne. Partner tells us doing a lot of great work, a lot of which we weren't even able to get to in the second time of interviewing her. But there's no real way to support them other than, you know, just not calling and emailing her 
when it's not something she's responsible for or partner tells us not responsible for. So just be nice to people if you're complaining about things. And also, I don't want to hear you complain about parking downtown. We're tired of it, collectively. <laughs> uh, please make sure to like and subscribe to the show. And please leave us a review. I'm serious. I'm getting desperate here. Like, I'm going to start leaving them as random people now, if I have to. <laughs> but as always, Broken Arrow, get your shit together. Tulsa, get it done. And be safe out there. Get those vaccines and flu shots. <laughs>